to the coffee house sometimes to find my way or to find my way out and in and out and emotional we've always adjusted my prescription so i can perceive then understand then hopefully we can welcome back to the exchange presented by own specialty coffee hosted by mark inman and todd mackey i'm mike ferguson this is our third episode of season two and the topic is coffee roasters and retail mark and todd talk about reasons roasters might go into retail and the many ways retail is defined. More importantly, they begin talking about why roasters might decide not to go into retail. But now, here they are, Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm your host, Mark Inman, and with me, as always, my friend Todd Mackey. Todd, how are you? Mr. Inman, I'm doing wonderfully tonight. Uh, I feel like uh, a new kind of energy this session for some reason i i don't want to put pressure on us but um no it feels good to be back i know you know shaking the dust off in episodes one and two sca recap uh was awesome but it's it's great to get back into the meat of uh season two and uh, i'm I'm happy to join you and, and certainly our growing followership here so welcome everyone thanks for coming out to the exchange uh, and as always, we'll we'll begin with uh, a little segment here uh, that we we've titled "What's in Your Glass." So, Mark, what are you drinking tonight? Oh well, I'm like last episode. I came directly here from the gym tonight and needed a little pick me up. So I have brewed some uh, pre-shipped samples of uh, washed Rwanda. Uh, it's a mixture of a couple different uh, washed. We didn't have enough uh, to do a single, so. Uh, a little wash for Wanda in a Chemex uh, brewed to SCA Gold Cup standard, uh, and it's delish. How about you, Todd? What are you up to tonight? You're you're always the late one, so I'm assuming it's always an alcohol-based. Well, beverage. last time around, I I got you with a little chamomile right. tea, which really hit chamomile the spot. Tea. Yeah, and I was I was almost gonna stay uh, on the tea motif because it's really been something uh, I've enjoyed in the evenings lately. I have a turmeric uh, tea, which is fantastic and obviously has great mm. anti-inflammatory properties that's not what i'm sure. drinking tonight um, i am drinking a, a wine from an austrian producer called Meinklang. i don't know if you're familiar mm. but um definitely picking no. up steam and is pretty well distributed here in the northeast this is uh they're in uh, bergenland is the appellation in eastern austria mm. this is a white wine predominant it's a blend predominantly gruner uh, but it is like mm, laser that. sharp, super refreshing, relatively low ABV, so like very crisp, refreshing. I would say if I had to characterize it uh, by you know taste description, m- mainly you know key lime and lychee, just very very crisp. But I w- I will say also plenty of sugar to balance the acidity. So. Uh, really nice. But you, you said you're drinking pre-ships of Rwanda coffees. This is, you know, we're recording yeah. live on May 30th. Um, this yes. is happening. I mean, that's that's not yeah. not early, let's say, but I mean, it's certainly ahead of of the game. What what exactly yeah. are you looking at? This isn't uh, something you've been sitting on. This is something coming up. No, these were unsolicited samples sent in, and, um, you know, they were quite nice. You know, cupping mid-85, you know, 85 fives, 86. I mean, for this goofy time of the year, I mean, I don't know where this stuff is coming from, but uh, not bad at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's got to be yeah. young. That's that's great. Maybe yeah. that bodes well for the the year ahead, so we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't tasting young. It was quite surprising. Yeah, that's awesome. Well... 
getting into uh, our episode tonight, we have queued up for us um, the coffee roaster and retailing, which, yes. you know, I think to both of us in prepping, this is a really exciting uh, conversation point, a lot of different paths we can take. And I think, right. um, you know, it's certainly plenty to chew on and to, to dig into. So I'll, uh, I'll kick us off, uh, essentially, you know, the way I'm looking at, you know, this conversation is in three parts. And the first one, you know, has to be, and it, it resonates with a lot of how I think we've unpacked issues in season one, but the question before anything else is why, right? Sure. Why should a, a, a roaster, um, whether new and building a business plan, uh, a roaster who maybe has been in the space for a year to three years and has become established as a, a wholesale roasting presence, mm-hmm. you know, why would either, um, you know, or even a seasoned business, you know, five to 10 years old plus, why, why should they enter the retail space? And, and, to clarify for those listening, you know, when we say retail, we're not talking about just storefronts. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking about a full retail margin um, sold directly to consumers. So B2B transitioning to B2C, straight to the, to the consumer. Um, so I'll, I'll kick that question to you first. Yeah. I mean, in your mind, what is the greatest justification for a roaster uh, evaluating and making a play at some retail? I mean, what's the most compelling? Well, I think at its core, the main reason why people do it is because they want to be able to establish their taste, their flavor, their standard. When you're a pure wholesale roaster, which I was one for many years, um, the customer can go into one of your wholesale accounts and have a very poor cup of your coffee and go into another one of your wholesale accounts and have a fantastic cup of coffee. And the question begs, well, what is this brand about? I don't get it. And it, it kind of sets, does a reset and says, this is what we are about. We are the standard bearers. So then if you get our coffee elsewhere, that experience is that, is that particular, you know, restaurant or bakery or whatever, that's what they're doing. And they may or may not express our product the way we would like. I also think that there was a big push about 15 years ago to get, you know, for pure wholesalers to get into retailing because it was the way uh, investors, uh, buyers, um, potential merger partners, it's how they evaluated who you were and how hot you were was by the amount of retail locations that you had. The amount of wholesale accounts wasn't as important all of a sudden. And so everybody felt if you didn't have 10 locations, you were worthless or you were never going to get bought out or you weren't going to be in Barista Magazine or you weren't going to you know, get any attention. And so there was a lot of pressure. People felt they needed to jump in. And, and there were some businesses here in the Bay Area that were pure wholesale coffee companies that out of nowhere started opening retail stores, some very poorly thought out, some a little bit better better planned but the they, they because they were feeling this pressure to be out there and uh nowadays i don't know if that pressure is still there so i think that there's a certain change in the dynamic which we'll cover later on but that certainly is what i think the two main motivators have always been yeah yeah no i mean it, it it's clear that in a way if you're not present in the retail space namely if you don't have your own stores 
there's there's been that and it's it's lingering i would argue it's still certainly a key consideration and it's something that everyone who's getting in whether it's step one or it's step two there's there's at least an engagement to that question well when do we open the store you know do we do that first and then become a roaster do we have the store uh you know as as part two um but there's definitely a i think uh you know, an inferiority complex that, that shouldn't be there, uh, for sure, just to be clear, but, but that is, is somewhat there when you're a roaster and, and you're not playing in that space. Um, but you know, it's unfortunate because that, that is not an easy space at all to get into. We'll, we'll get in, no. we'll get into that part of the discussion after let's not harsh the, uh, the buzz now, but, but, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, like you said, that the idea of, of holding your standard, I mean, you know, I, I you could express it as proof of concept. You could express it as, a you know, brand expression or, you know, brand communication. Um, but it's interesting to look at really, you know, the biggest, earliest darlings of, of what a lot of people call third wave coffee. The majority of them started at retail as a roaster, you know, the main outlet that their coffee was going out through was their own shop. And and that degree of right. control in so many ways was pretty new, right? I mean, that, you know, as someone who was there well-rooted and had seen some, some trends come and go by that point, um, right. you know, does that seem accurate to say? I mean, I, I my well, uh, entry yeah. more or less aligned with that. So I, you know, I, I have less of a perspective, I guess. Well, and even taking it to the the other extreme, where you had uh, Blue Bottle, which was um, was had retail shops first, but was wholesaling on a very large scale, and and decided to to destroy all of their wholesale accounts. I mean, completely stop doing that. And only do coffee through their own outlet because they they wanted to be almost like Apple computers where everything that was about Blue Bottle was coming out of their control. And they weren't allowing others to brew their coffee anymore. Sure, sure. Which was at the time an insane move because if you were, you know, I was a competitor of them up here to all of a sudden have this gigantic, you know, bulk of wholesale accounts available to you because they just, you know, turn them away was crazy and uh, but now you know in hindsight i understand why they did what they did and it certainly helped you know further the kind of cult of blue bottle that you know became the 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 brand that it is today well and interestingly simultaneous they were they were charging after and and they're not certainly not the only one but they were charging after a different type of retail um you know getting a finished uh you know finished packaged product out via new and more diversified uh, web streams direct to consumer right also right. you know expanding in a in a significant way i i suppose both uh retail and wholesale in like a finished beverage type of platform which has become a massive uh part of the the retail model uh you know something that's that's ready to drink um both through right you know, distribution channels, uh, as well as, you know, direct to the consumer. But, but, you know, I think that is a, another compelling reason to get into retail is this idea as a, a wholesale roaster, when you're, you know, you're basing all of your pricing off or, or somewhat hybridized off the, the direct cost of your goods, plus your production, 
right? You have your model and, and that's how you're basing uh, all of the, the, the way you're pushing your coffee out and, and how you're selling. If you can all of a sudden create a customer base that you can sell direct through, even, even you know, by one point removed through the internet, I mean, that, that's a fantastic uh, new and interesting, potentially really lucrative part of your business. If you say, turn that up to 20 plus percent, 20 to 30% of your sales. I mean, that's fantastic. No? Right. Um, right. How, how significant, um, you know, as I guess it probably, and this is not a dig at all, but it was probably a little, you were a little ahead of this in terms of the role of the internet through mail order and, and the like. But I imagine you had a pretty significant mail order business when you were running your company. Yeah. How did you look at that and, and what role did it play? How, how, how attractive was that business to you? And, and if you were in that space today, how hard would you go after that? Well, today, I mean, for when I had my company, you know, I did have retail stores as well. But my retail stores, I, I was I sold whole bean coffee, refilling the we sold our coffee in a steel can and customers could come back in and refill the can weekly. We also sold hardware um, brewers and filters and grinders and espresso machines and um so it was uh like a, you know a true old school bean merchant shop and the vehicle of mail order was an extension of that people that visited the wine country here that wanted our coffees uh mail order was the way to go in addition to that here in the wine country wineries were back then and still to this day push very hard their subscription services so you come to these fancy tasting rooms here um, that, you know, now they're charging, but it used to be free wine in a fantastic atmosphere. They didn't care how many bottles of wine they were selling in the tasting room that day. Their biggest hook was to get you to buy a half a case a month or a case a month, something like that. That's what they were pushing. And so it was easy to sell this idea of mail order coffee because everywhere they were also visiting, they were also pitching this model. Fast forward to today, I believe personally, a company is not measured anymore by how many retail locations they have, but they're measured by the amount or the size of their uh, subscription mail order list. And mm. I and I compare that to things like Dollar Shave Club or Amazon or um, Quip toothpaste and toothbrushes. You know the electric toothbrush refills every month. This idea that everything you need it's actually more convenient to have it shipped to your doorstep than it is to get in your car and go out and do that i remember and and coffee fits in probably to me more you know appropriately than in a toothpaste or a toothbrush or you know monthly razors uh which to me you, you go grocery shopping a couple times a week and those products are readily available but the hook that I always gave, and I think that, you know, coffee companies that are going to get into this space should be pitching, is that freshness trumps everything in coffee. You know, co when people like to compare coffee to wine or coffee to beer all the time, but really coffee is best compared to bread, and it's the fresher it is, the better. And direct from the roaster to your doorstep in two days is far fresher than anything they're going to get in a gravity-fed bulk bin in a grocery store or a prepackaged product that's even if it's nitrogen flush and backpacked 
grocery distributors want a six-month backlog of coffee when you strike uh, any type of distribution deal. So potentially any coffee on a grocery store shelf can be up to six months old. That is going to be inferior no matter what the coffee is. It can be the nicest geisha in the world or the you know the most interesting uh, you know micro lot. But if it's six months old, it's never going to be as good as something roasted two days ago. Uh, that's just you know teeming with freshness when you open the package and you and you grind it and start brewing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the idea of catching a a, a customer that's going to be faithful and that's going to be a part of your subscription service or your you know your your uh, coffee of the month club or what whatever you call it is obviously ideal but the the endearment that you need to evoke out of that customer to to essentially forego the number of other uh, really uh, worthwhile options in the market is the hard part right which it's almost like the storefront and and the subscription are a two-parter in that same way you're highlighting, uh, you know, around the, the tasting room at the winery. Except, you know, what we're seeing these days is that the retail storefronts are just pushed to the max. I mean, some of the, the budgets that are, that are uh, f- you know, floating these, these stores, um, you know, and then on top of that, you know, larger companies that are doing openings in runs of three, five more um, are incredible. Uh, and it's it's no surprise because, you know, it's very easy to outfit this type of uh, back-end system online as the years have gone on. The technology's right. gotten much easier. I think you're absolutely right. You know, there is a marriage of the convenience uh, sell around some of these tech plays and, and you know, really convenience-type marketing strategies for any consumer goods, any, uh, you know, exhaustible goods, uh, like this and coffee's a fantastic one, but, but it's, it's, how do you, how do you communicate something with a brand? Um, you know, and you can try with a package, you can try with a website, but, but a lot of times it's the full immersion of a store where, you know, whether it's the neighborhood you're in, the environment you're around, something you align with so intrinsically and so indelibly, in that retail experience that, you know, the customer wants to have you in their house all the time. And uh, right. I, right. I do think that's a worthwhile why um, when you, you're you making a play. And I, I do think, you know, regardless of the size of your retail footprint, you have to consider that. And, you know, it does contribute to making specialty coffee retail a not only a hard business, but but not a super lucrative one. I mean, no. especially for the, at least right now, the proven life cycle of a lot of these shops, unfortunately. Um, but uh, again, I mean, I I guess there's there's the other side of retail that we haven't gone into yet that I think is is pretty interesting. It's especially interesting for new and younger businesses. But all the ways of aligning your brand and becoming a part of what is a you know, out this way, I'm sure in your area, it's got to be crushing, but it seems to do well, more or less everywhere. I mean, in my travels, this is, this is a constant, but farmers markets, um, producers uh, markets, um, craft and sort of handmade local markets, places where it's obvious as a convenience and as a, just a common product that coffee, specialty coffee and, you know, local brands, locally roasted brands 
just have such a place at these markets. It's an easy way to retail, to get straight to the consumer. Um, I think back, you know, when I first got into the roasting business, I was working for a purely wholesale roaster who had be, you know, was, was about 10 years old at the time. And this was a, a huge way of not only seeding the mail order business, but, but having two or three of these really established markets that were super uh, fantastic retail opportunities, punctuating the week, had a nice shot in the arm at better margins, great connection to consumers. And it, it almost, as a wholesale roaster where we only made those appearances, it, it really connected to people because they knew that we weren't just, you know, we weren't out there in, in a retail shop for everybody. You know, people felt like they had to kind of go after it a little bit, which at least at the time yeah. um, was awesome. I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how that uh, has been something I'm sure, you know, you and your company must have been a huge part. I mean, you were an organic farm uh, doing, you know, active right. in all sorts of business. So in so many ways, you were essentially that entire uh, picture. But, but yeah. what does that look like to you now? And, and would you recommend this as something for for small roasters? I mean, especially in secondary and tertiary markets where maybe these farmers markets don't even have a coffee provider? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you can get into a farmer's market it, out here in, in the West Coast, because of the amount of farming that happens out here and artisanal farming, especially farmers markets are everywhere. And uh, the coffee scene became very hip to that outlet a long time ago. So it's very rare that you're going to find a farmer's market out here that that doesn't have somebody. You know, the hilarious part about it is that any farmer's market that you go to, there could be eight vendors selling carrots or or six vendors selling lettuce or, you know, during peaches and tomatoes, you know, 50 vendors selling that. But they only allow one coffee company in, which I always found very odd because it's another agricultural product like anything else. It's a very inexpensive way to get in. I mean, you have to look at it from an economic standpoint. If you're a, a, a small roaster trying to branch out in, in the ways that Todd has talked about tonight, I mean, I don't know about w with Bolt and with, uh, with Need out there on the East Coast, but out here to open a, a brick and mortar cafe, you're looking at a minimum a quarter million dollars to get the doors mm. open. And that's just to get the doors open. That's not your working capital. That's nothing. And that's a lot of money to a small roaster. That is, in many cases, an impossible amount of money. Or it's you mortgaging your home or, or doing something to enter this world. And if it doesn't work, you can be ruined overnight. Whereas when I was doing the, the whole bean stores, it, it, I didn't have to because I wasn't serving food. I was, I was selling beans. It cost me under $50,000 to open it up. A farmer's market setup can be $5,000. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And it's another way to get yourself out there or at least build enough of, a, of some buzz to warrant then looking at going into a brick and mortar store if you really you know develop a following in one specific area. Or it tells you, hey, a lot of my customers live all over the place. They come to this farmer's market and they're wanting it to be sent to their home. And it tells you what your next move is. I mean, it actually does your research for you. Yeah, Buzz, that was a great coffee pun, Mark. Did you did you have that one in your notes? Huh. 
No, I did not have that in my notes. That was purely by accident. It's your true um, And I also want to add to that, though, uh, you know, add to that farmer's market slash pop-up. I think you can do pop-ups in certain areas, uh, especially food kind of districts, and, and it would have the same effect. So I think you could look at that as well in addition to a Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, the the thing you can't uh, understate, though, in all of these, and it's it's interesting thinking back because, you know, Bolt uh, started as a cart, and, and this was... Uh, this is not uncommon by any stretch. I mean, there's probably a lot of people who are listening who had that start or had the thought or what have you. You know, so just a, a shared experience and and shared struggle. I mean, you have to hustle or think of, you know, if anyone's listening that started as a, a, a coffee truck or has anything to do with food trucks. I mean, it's it can be unbelievable. And I mean, it is hip as all get out and people are, are certainly doing really well in this type of space, but you have to go for it. I mean, you are out there, you have to, to get around, you have to be where the event is and you have to let people know. And it, it just requires such a multifaceted command uh, and you have to be so proactive, whereas I think, you know, when you take a lease and you put a sign up and, you know, it can go really well, it can go very poorly, uh, very poorly. Um, but but there is there there has to has to be uh, a real uh, emphasis on those pop ups can be invaluable, but they are also hard fought. Um, I do think, you know, you're absolutely right in getting started in a brick and mortar store. And if, if you want to have the type of impress that some of these, uh, companies that are backed by multinationals and that have just huge, uh, you know, ample budgets, um, to continue opening, they also have the economies of scale as, as, uh, growing roasting businesses and vertically integrated businesses who can, can capture margin and multi, uh, multiple tiers uh, of their production, you know, uh, on the path uh, from seed to cup, they in, can endure this type of risk. You you may not be able to as readily, and you know there are opportunities to find a way in the door in these uh, what seems to become uh, seems to be becoming a much more common installation of cities uh, across this country and certainly all over the world. You know, in these uh, shared food markets, I uh, think Grand Central Market in uh, in L.A., think Pike Place in Seattle, uh, Union in D.C., um, Chelsea Market in New York. I mean, th- these types of places where retail space is less, uh, overheads are certainly market comparable. It's not to say that they're cheap, but but the the amount of the footprint uh, that that obligates you. Um, uh, is, can be less. And, and sometimes depending on where you find yourself, you know, that's a great way to get in, prove a concept, express your brand, you know, get the retail experience you need to then circle back and, and make what might be more so a, a true flagship, uh, retail location. But, but having, you know, planted retail businesses myself and, and, as part of a, a, a fantastic team uh, in both cases, um, you know, just a small part, I should say, um, these are no joke. I mean, you know, you the money is, is going out really fast. The complexities are very high, and it's a race to the finish to get to the starting line. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, you have to you have to go in. 
um, you know, laser focused. I think that the the most important value when you're when you're deciding whether this is for you, or more so whether this is for your company or your brand or not, is to to have a, a very very pronounced simplicity where um, you know you should not be doing this to be everything to all people right because there is no you will be absolutely torn apart wholesale roasters in my experience it can do that much more you can white label you can roast to order uh, or blend to to spec you can do all sorts of flexible things as a wholesale roaster that the moment you have you're putting yourself up on this uh essentially a canvas as as more of an art piece you know at retail it that is just not a possibility and if you allow your customer base to suggest every way you should change week to week i mean you will be out faster than you got in um unfortunately yeah and and i do think you know the thing that i have always struggled with and it's the reason why I went down the road of a bean merchant type face was, uh, you know, the idea of, like you said, getting too complicated or, you know, trying to offer too much. And this idea that if you're a coffee roaster and you want to establish your brand, opening up a, a retail cafe, you know, all of a sudden you're in the, the pastry business and the food business and maybe ice cream or, you know, you know, blended drinks and it, you you get so far off your, your core competency so quickly that you may as well open a restaurant. That's how I've always looked at it. And it's what I've always wrestled with. Whereas, sure. you know, and, and I always equate it to, I don't go to the farmer's market and ask the, the lettuce farmer to make me a salad. I, I want to buy a head of lettuce and I'll take it home and make my own salad. The other reality sure. is that still 80% of all coffee consumed in the United States is consumed at home. So the the market share of catering to the home consumer is is very attractive and you know unfortunately now you're competing with this you know convenience and cleanliness of capsule type brew systems but I do think that there's still opportunities there. But I, I do I see with a lot of people once they get into cafes very quickly, they're into food, and and you know as well as as I do the the cost of that you know the for a cafe is is very high to start getting into food and waste and spillage and all of that stuff, and you you see your profit dwindling. And how do you what is the finish line? Or like you said, you're racing you know toward the finish to get to the start, but what is the finish at that point? Because it, at that point you're fully immersed in a restaurant. At that point, and are you doing any favors to your brand, which was your initial reason to get into this this venue in the first place? Sure. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. It's interesting. We're crossing a line into uh, the second uh, part of how I would divide this, which you know we had why retail in the first place. You know, second part is of course why not. Um, you know, I think the last of of maybe five definitive concepts. I feel like we've covered more than that, but. The last of, of these that I would say for why to retail in the first place is to diversify the revenue streams of your business, you know, have a larger uh, margin captured, um, you know, as you connect to your consumer and hopefully uh, build, uh, you know, a nice uh, fat 
you know, diversified revenue stream that, that becomes a base when, uh, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. Wholesale customers can come and go. Um, so this is a nice insulation there, but, but how do you safeguard that revenue stream when you all of a sudden have to buy food from somebody? Right. Typically you're not only buying food that, that can spoil, um, that can, uh, only be held for so long, but you're also most typically, especially when you're starting at retail in a, in a, fledgling venture you're buying finished food right, right right you're not even you're not even necessarily making it so perfect example is like if you want to have a good croissant i mean becoming proficient in making laminated pastry and 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 really sheeting out like awesome laminated pastries that is its own thing absolutely I mean, like totally i mean the people that excel at that they have made that their pursuit for their careers. And, um, you know, so you either have to have someone that you commission to do that for you and that you outfit with every tool, every ingredient, the type of, of, um, you know, runway time, energy resource wise to be able to do that in a fantastic way. Right. Or you, you go like most everyone does. Um, and, and I have as well where you find that professional, locally to you and and you buy those things but you're buying them at a way you know at a price that allows that and justifiably so that allows that uh that business uh the ability to thrive on their own pursuit their own uh you know specialization and you know the margin uh, of error in buying finished pastry or finished food ready to grab and go sandwiches that right. are actually worth grabbing um, you know, you, you have a, a, what is just a handful of pieces per day in all reality where you either win or lose. Right. And, and the, the biggest mistake I see and the biggest why not, um, that I would argue for why people should take a really sober look in the mirror and say, is this for me? Should I retail is whether or not they want to uh -huh. or can Right. Which can is one of those two parters. It's either can I deal with this myself right. or does my team have the capacity? Do I have a, a GM who can handle retail? Right. right. Who is a retail professional? Um, can I hire someone who will crush running a retail business with this many moving parts? Right. Right. Because again, you're you're running these decisions day to day. I mean, I always joke. It's funny. My my partner Adam at Need is like he's as much a meteorologist as he is, yeah. you know, running a bakery, right? Right? Because he he's checking weather reports. He's he's looking at um, events, citywide events. He you know, I mean, I couldn't sing his praise enough. He's a total sledgehammer. But that business thrives because. You know, he's looking at the way those more macro elements play into the details, right? Yeah. And that's that's a company that's that's making its core product. When you start to buy your your core food products from someone else who's making them, um, you know, and it's it's not a uh, you versus them thing at all. It's just if you're five pieces off and then put that over seven days and put that over fifty two weeks. You're screwed. And at the right. end of the year, when you look at your P&L, your business is either going to show a a, uh, a 
sort of, you know, modest margin, right? You might, you might look at this business and at the end of the year, uh, you know, make eight to 10% and you should be pumped on that, right? right? As a small private company, but you're either going to make that eight to 10% or you're going to be even, and it's going to be in those details. Well, and that's what I think people need to hear because that, I think people get, and, and you know, the benefit though here is you get cash flow. Because in, in wholesale roasting, you're giving everyone terms and it's net 30. And you're you sure. know, usually with, if you're a roaster, you have net 30 with your importer. Um, so the cash flow is tight and retail allows an increase in cash flow. But as far as a, a second, you know, diversified profit center, it's eight to 10. It's that, you know, it used to be 15, but I think it's gotten more complicated and, and obviously prices have gone up. And that's that's the reality that you have to look at. Whereas wholesale, it, you know, roasting, it could be 20, 25. And when I was doing the whole bean stores, it was 35. Now, granted, the sales, you know, average whole bean store I did, you know, I was selling equipment and coffee. That was it. I was probably doing annual sales of around a million, a million two, uh, and as low as 500,000 in some of the smaller stores. But I was netting 30% profit off that, which to me was money in the bank. It was good. It was a good, solid business. But it at the time, I wasn't going to open 30 stores that way, or I wasn't going to have a, a blue bottle or a, uh, you know, a stump town in the sense of, 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 you know, locations all over the United States. It was very mm. specific type business, but it was a true diversified income stream in the truest sense. And in my opinion... It supported the brand because the story you just laid out about the bakery, you know, I, I know I have a couple clients that got into, you know, their, the cafe off being a roaster and then they were buying the croissant like you're explaining uh, wholesale and they weren't really making any money on it. So then they decided to bake and then they had to hire a baker and then they had to get really nice equipment. And before you know it, their manufacturing of their baked goods was as complex as the roasting plant. So when you took a step back, what was this brand about now? It was a a bakery and a coffee company. It wasn't just a coffee company anymore. So how quickly are you getting off message by making sound individual business decisions that you make more profit by making your own croissant? But is that achieving the goal that you initially set out on, which is to establish my brand as a true coffee brand, is that getting you toward that goal or is that confusing that goal? And that that's the kind of thing that I think people really need to think about because it's easy to walk into a cool cafe and think, God, I really would love to have one of these things. But, you know, the the cafe that I would want would be, you know, I'm doing, you know, lever pull espresso and, and hardly any milk drinks and, and black drip coffee. And there's no nobody's doing that and nobody no customer is going to support that on any scale you know before i know it i'd be making frappes and you know selling coffee earrings and all this garbage that's out there um and that's not at all the the cafe in my mind i would like to open You've been listening to The Exchange, presented by OM Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was Cup with a Handle by G8. Our closing theme is Acidity by Nikki Andrews. 
All music is used under Creative Commons. We'll be back in two weeks to continue the conversation on coffee roasters and retailing. Don't forget, you can email us at theexchange at olamnet.com. That email goes to all three of us at the same time. Thank you for listening. And now, here's your postscript. It may work for you, but it certainly doesn't work for me. So I'm going to go ahead and take control of this one. (laughs) I'm just joking.